my company name is just my name and I like the idea that my clients recognize that I'm a person, that I'm designing these pieces and making them all uh, just one at a time specifically for them. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Leah Amick, owner of the furniture company Leah K.S. Amick. With awards and press, events and high-profile clients, Leah has her pick for the direction she wants to take her brand. But sometimes, you figure out what you want your company to look like by figuring out what you don't want it to look like. And after working for and with large-scale operations, she has decided she wants to grow and maintain her business in a way that feels right for her, focusing on the part she enjoys and leaving out the parts that she doesn't. So follow along as we talk about learning in school versus learning in life, understanding your own brand, how far press can take you, and much more. So let's start the episode and hear about Leia's journey in her own words. I guess I've always been a pretty creative person and very hands-on. I remember my dad got me a little toolkit when I was little and I'd help him around the house. I had a little hammer and a saw. I mean, I don't think I was actually helping, but you know, <laughs> I wanted to do something with my hands and, and make things. In high school, I did a lot of the same things. I did art, I dabbled in sewing and interior design. And after that, decided to get into industrial design for my undergraduate degree. So I went to Purdue for that um, and really loved the projects that involved furniture and woodworking. Uh, so after undergrad, I worked for a furniture company for two years, I think it was. I didn't get to do a lot of design. Everything was manufactured overseas and it was um, kind of like particle board of veneers and, and things like that. So I figured out that I, that's not the kind of thing I want to do, but I wasn't sure what I did want to do. And I knew I needed more furniture experience. Then came the decision to go to grad school, applied a few places and ended up going to RISD. So I got my master's in furniture design and learned more of the woodworking side and kind of the, the art side because my undergrad degree was more focused on creating 3D models and rendering and design and, and more of the technical side. That technical side and then RISD was more conceptual being a grad program it was all about the concept and theory and also um, being able to create the things that I was imagining so uh, two very different experiences that I think kind of work well together today a lot of my pieces are very functional but also they tend to be a bit more unusual more on the conceptual side so after RISD, I, uh, I guess I became an independent designer more or less immediately and worked for a sofa company for a while, for about a year, a startup. After my time with Burrow, I just became completely independent, working with a variety of clients, doing independent design, but also doing custom pieces, um, woodworking, um, creating my own portfolio of work. And yeah, I dabble in a lot of things still. When people start thinking about going into the world of furniture and they want to become a furniture maker, they they think 
should I go to school for this or should I learn on the job or should I read a lot of books and watch YouTube? There, There's a lot more ways that somebody can become a furniture maker today than there was you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 100 years ago. The idea of an apprenticeship, the idea of going to school, those aren't always at the top of the list for people who want to do this now. But you did take that experience. You went to school for furniture design. What was that experience like for you? And is it something that you'd recommend to people who are trying to start their furniture journey today? Yeah, that's a good question. I can't say I'd necessarily recommend it just because it's so different for everybody. We all have our own paths. For me, it was the right decision. Uh, My first year, I actually struggled a lot and I thought about quitting because it was just such a change going to just going to an art school in general. (laughs) But I think that it was it was a really great experience and it helped me, I guess, fast forward figuring out who I am as a designer and an artist and a creator, being able to focus purely on what I wanted to do in these pieces and what my voice is for those two years was, I guess, invaluable. But I do understand that it is not available for everyone. I I still have student loans that I'll be paying for a while. So it's not for everyone. And I don't think that it's necessary, of course, to get into furniture. You can learn those things on your own. And even after RISD, um, because it was the grad program, I didn't learn the technical aspects of woodworking. And I kind of learned based on the project I was working on. And so even after that, I'm, I'm still constantly learning new techniques and how to, how to do things and um, how to be a woodworker. <laughs> Same with being a designer, how to, how to be a good designer and, and everything. So it's not, a, it's not like they, you learn everything and then you're ready to go. It's a continued journey. The learning aspect of, of building furniture and I guess life in general, if we're looking at it totally big picture, is never done. And you're always learning and you're continuously experiencing new things and developing your skills and and understanding how to make better furniture or how to run a furniture business better. Your experiences in school, obviously, help to shape how you design and build things. But you also worked at other companies before you went out on your own. And I know Burrow is a a very large company now. And then the other company you worked at is also pretty large. And, And working at those companies, even though they're not exactly what you're doing now, they were more mass production and overseas and more of the design aspect of it that you were involved in rather than the building. But what did you learn from those bigger companies when you were kind of a a cog in the wheel and making things work, but in the back of your mind, you were thinking, I'm going to really store some of this information for when I go out on my own. What was that information that you, you took from those bigger companies when you jumped into your own thing? Well, when I started with Burrow, it was just me and the two founders. So they were not, um, they were not a big company <laughs> yet. Uh, so from them, I learned a lot just about startup and, and costs and working with manufacturers. Um, I would go to Mexico City about once a month just to work with the upholsterers and the people creating the sofas. 
So yeah, I learned a lot about just how businesses can be run to be scaled up. I figured out from the other companies I've worked at, um, at least the, the one between undergrad and graduate school, I kind of learned what I didn't want to do and what not to do. And as for applying it to my business, I guess it's just a matter of scale. Like, do I want to be the same scale as these other companies were? Is that something I'm interested in? And if so, how should, how could I do it or what should I avoid? I know we've talked a lot about the other companies you've worked at and where we're building, we're building the, the stage for your own company and what was the first thing that you did when you said, I don't want to work for somebody else. I don't want to go back to school. I want to do my own thing. Kind of a hard question. I don't know that there was one thing and it's just evolved so much over time. I spent a lot of time, like I said, talking to other people and how they started and thinking like, okay, I just have to do this one thing and then it'll take off from there. And ultimately, I mean, everybody had different advice, but mostly what I heard was that you just keep trying and eventually something sticks. And um, so that's what I did. I did some trade shows, you know, blogs and magazines and, and press. And I think it's just kind of all of those efforts together ultimately led to some of the success that I have now. But I think it is also almost a game of chance. I can't point to one thing that necessarily started at all. It is a game of chance at the base level of it, but I think you're selling yourself a little bit short because you look through your resume and there are countless awards that you have won and events that you've attended and companies that you've worked with and things that you've really pushed yourself forward in the furniture world by doing. And one of those things that I want to talk about is actually the awards and the competitions that you've entered, because not a lot of people know that there's furniture awards and design awards and things that you can enter. And I think that that goes back to your the time you spent in school doing this, because people who have gone to furniture school are very tapped into this idea of competitions and being able to enter things for people who don't know about this part of the furniture industry and you don't have to speak on the entire thing because obviously there's a lot of different avenues that these types of competitions go down but can you just talk a little bit about the type of furniture and design competitions that you entered and how you go through that process and how you even find them to enter in the first place? Sure. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess I didn't even think about the competitions that much. Um, in school, they do encourage you to do a lot of competitions. Um, in While I was at Purdue, we had some that were required as part of the curriculum. So from there, I was able to learn kind of that they're out there and, and you can I mean, sometimes there is a monetary prize, but for the most part, the, the press that you get if you win is really nice. Um, and that does help get your name out there a lot. And it was the same at RISD, learning about some of the different competitions that are, are there. Like in New York during Design Week, um, I was able to go to Wanted Design by entering that competition. Um, and that did that did help get my name out there a bit and my pieces and, and just getting to know um, some people and people seeing my work in terms of finding them. 
you know, often I just kind of Google, <laughs> uh, just see what's out there. Um, if you go to shows, you can often find, you know, a booth that says it's students or, or new upcoming designers or something. And, and, and sometimes they'll, you can find um, information that way about different competitions that are out there uh, or just, you know, getting to know other designers, other networking with other, um, other furniture makers and designers and hearing if, about things that they've done because there's always something new to enter. This, this show is very much about sort of pulling the curtain back on the furniture business in general. And I think one of the big misconceptions, and I think that you would probably be a good person to ask about this, is that winning an award or having great press or being in a big show is that silver bullet. And the second that happens, you're set for life. Your career is is made and everybody knows your name. And that's not always the case. And I think that you've talked a lot about it already, saying that this whole experience of having your own company is a grind and you have to keep doing it. And there's no one thing that happens that you say, that is what I'm going to stake my career in. It's just a lot of little things. Can you talk to that a little bit? I guess going back to maybe your first big break and and I'm sure you had that feeling of this is going to propel me forever. And, you know, it feels good, but just that experience that maybe some people haven't gone through yet that when when something big does happen, it still means that you have to keep working after that. Yeah, um, and that that's so true that it's there's no silver bullet. Um, like you said, I've been in a lot of competitions. I've won quite a few of them. I've been in blogs and articles, and, and none of those were the one thing that really like propelled me forward. Um, I do remember when I did get into wanted design, thinking like, okay, my name will be out there. I'll get a lot of orders. Everyone will be so excited, and, and this is it. And um, it was nice, and I did get a lot of press. It was exciting for a little bit, but it wasn't, you know, the answer. So beyond that, it was just a matter of continuously trying and recognizing that, uh, you know, I have to come up with new things and I have to get them out in the world and, and continuously remind the world that I'm here and what I'm doing and why. I want to be clear. It's not a, a bad thing. It's It's just the way of the industry. I always like to remind people that yes, press is good. Yes, competitions and, and winning things and being in events is good. But keep looking beyond that. Build your company in a way that you can have these high points, but that's not where it ends. Your company keeps going and builds a sustainable company, not just something that is there for the one note. Mm -hmm. And I think I think that's a really important hard truth, though. I don't know if anyone ever really told me that. Going to RISD, I mean, I love RISD, but there are a lot of people that come from memes there. And so a lot of the time they would get out of school and then they could afford to get a trade show booth every year and get 
in press and like it would just kind of take off. And I don't know that I had somebody tell me that it was going to be that difficult just to have people remember your name. And so it's, it's, I think it's a really relevant and important thing, even if it's a little bit sad to say that, you know, you just have to continuously get in the press and continuously do competitions and blogs and find new opportunities, new ways to introduce your work. It's important, even if it's a little bit sad and daunting. Let's talk about the customers that you're having. And you decided very early on that you're not trying to mass produce. You're not trying to have a giant furniture company that that you're pushing out assembly line work. But that doesn't mean that you don't want to have a furniture company and that you don't want to sell pieces. And that is what you've been doing. You have a company and you are selling pieces. So where do you feel your clients are coming from? Is it from the shows? Is it from the press? Or are you finding people different ways? Uh, you know, it, I ask most of the time where people have found me. And I feel like most of the time it's a different answer. Like they'll, they'll find me in an article or they'll see the videos I've done with Shaper or they'll just be browsing Instagram and see one of my pieces. Or sometimes it's word of mouth or things like this podcast. It is all of it. So that is that is why it's so important, even if it's not the end all be all to be in this one one magazine. It still contributes. I want to talk a little bit about your selling process. And on your website, you have the ability to inquire about a piece. You don't have the buy now option. And I feel like that gets pulled back again to the fact that you don't want to be mass producing things. You don't want it to just be a buy now culture. You want people to talk to you when they're ordering. You want it to be a a very customer service based experience. You want to be able to talk to the client and maybe customize some pieces and, and make sure that they're getting the exact thing that they want, not just an off the shelf product. How have you felt that inquire versus buy now option is on your website for clients. Do you think that that a lot of people like that? Or do you think that's sort of turning people off who might feel like that's a little bit too much work? Yeah, um, I go back and forth on that a lot. Um, But again, that goes back to kind of what I want with my business and what I want to do. Uh, And I have had it at as buy now, um, and then people will purchase something like a lamp or a ladder. And it just feels so impersonal. And I I guess my company name is just my name. And I like the idea that my clients recognize that I'm a person, that I'm designing these pieces and making them all uh, just one at a time specifically for them. And I know that that does turn some people off and it might um, take away some orders that I would otherwise get, but that's kind of the business that I, at the moment at least, am trying to build. And that could change, you know, maybe at some point I'll decide that I just want to make them and chip them and get as many orders as I can. But I, at the moment, I enjoy making just one at a time. And ideally what I would, what I, what would happen is that people would inquire and then they'd ask for something custom and I get to make something new and different and that's kind of my dream. 
well, you're living your dream. It's your company <laughs> and you get to decide exactly how it goes. And if that's what you want and it's working for you, then the right answer is doing it that way. So <laughs> you have a furniture company, but you also have a product design service that you offer for for clients. Can you talk about that and how you run that business alongside your furniture business and how they both interact? Yeah, sure. Um, so I do a lot of product development for companies. So I've been working with a, a company called Kodabi that does phone accessories. So iPhone cases and chargers and things like that. And I get to do the, des the design of those products, um, which is very different from my, my furniture side. Same with another client. I, I've been working on wine cellars, um, custom for people's homes and just various startups. And even though it is completely different from the furniture side, I think that just being creative constantly and creating new things, thinking about the principles of design and utilizing them as much as I can helps with my furniture business because it's kind of like fueling the creativity that I have there. Uh, it's also how I'm able to fund most of the, the furniture work that I do. Um, as we all know, it's really hard to have your own custom furniture business. I mean, just making ends meet. So having this kind of other side of my business has really made that possible. And I know that a lot of other people, like they'll, when they're first starting, they'll, they'll keep their day job and then they have their evening job doing furniture and woodworking. And it's kind of similar. Um, but I would say that they kind of fuel each other just in being creative and getting to try a lot of different things. Like I, I worked on sofas and trade show booths and front wine cellars, iPhone cases, I mean, you name it. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying before, just constantly learning and constantly changing and evolving. And we can all get very caught up in the, the business of our businesses and the, the money and the deadlines and things like that in the day-to-day -day running of our business. But there are bigger parts, and that is life in general, how your business reflects on your life and how your life reflects on your business. And you definitely have had that balance in your mind from the beginning. You knew what you wanted, you knew what you didn't, and you've worked towards having the type of business, the type of company that works with your lifestyle. You're about to have a big change to your life, and I'll let you talk on that, but as somebody who has planned out where their business is going, how have you been planning for this next stage and how is it going to relate to the company that you've been building? Yeah, so this next stage is a baby coming in May um, and that is certainly going to change things. And I think that the way that I've structured my business and, and kind of being independent and not having employees, I think that that life balance will be really crucial. I'll be able to take the projects that I want and um, skip on 
things that I might not be interested in to have that balance and, and stay at home for a little while. Um, or at least that is, that is my hope. <laughs> uh, come next year, I mean, I know things will slow down and it will be a bit more difficult, I think, to get some of the things I'd normally do done. But I also think that I'll have a different perspective on what to prioritize. And I'm hoping that that shows a lot in my pieces and, you know, how they're designed, how they're made, um, how I work with clients. So it'll be a change. Um, but I'm hoping that not just a good personal change, but a, a good change for my business as well. A theme throughout this interview and throughout your career, and it seems like your life has been talking with people who have been there before, talking with company owners, talking with furniture makers, talking with teachers, talking with peers about their experiences and really taking that in and learning from their experiences what you want to do next. So I'm going to ask you to be one of those people that you've reached out to and ask you for people who want to start a company or people who have a furniture company but don't feel like it's run the way they want it to be what advice could you share with those people to help them get on track um i think it's kind of the same as i've i've stated before everybody has their own path and their own journey and it takes a while to find yours and you have to let it continuously evolve i mean i know now that i don't want to be it part of a big business. I don't want to do even small batch production, but I didn't always know that. And I, um, I tried seeing what it would take to do, you know, something a bit larger, less independent. And I had to kind of shift my view and my perspective of what, what I wanted and what success meant to me. And so my, I guess my bit of advice is just to let that happen and not think that there is not take this image in your head of what your business needs to be and what what is a successful business and how if you need to be like a, a big name with a hundred thousand followers or something smaller it's there's no right answer it's just make your own path make your own your own journey and be okay with changing what that means, changing what that end goal is. <laughs> well, I do appreciate you you sharing your journey up to this point, and it means a lot sitting down and, and sharing your experiences, the good and the bad and the, the easy and the hard. And I want to thank you for that and wish you success, not just in your business moving forward, but your your life in general. And thank you for your time and wishing you nothing but success in the future. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the show. If you liked what you heard and you got value out of it, please think about leaving a review and subscribing wherever you listen. To learn more about the series, please visit buildingafurniturebrand.com and feel free to reach out anytime with questions or guest suggestions to hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can find me at The Build with Ethan on Instagram. Hope you enjoyed the show and can't wait to bring you the next one.